Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. It's good to have you here. If you've not listened to the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, you also are very welcome. So I'm Scott, and each time out, I'm joined by one or more other members of the Monkey See family to talk about what we've been watching, including recent releases, uh, those things that are flying under the radar, and some all-time classics. We also talk about the ever-shifting landscape of film, and on occasion defend maligned, overlooked, or underappreciated movies, as we did in the last episode with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, as well as our regular pitch battles and our always-expanding Tracks of the Trade Spotify Movie Score playlist. Joining me this week is the magical Christopher Commander. Oh, that's me. Hello. That is you. Hello. <laughs> and the wonderful Mr. Craig Woodfield. Oh, that that is me. Hello. That, that is you. Uh, unfortunately, no Kev this week. He is off learning and getting qualified, so good, good luck to you, Kev. Hope it's going well. Yes. Uh, so, gentlemen, how have you been? Very well indeed. I, I've been splendid, thank you very much. Excellent. So, aside from the films that we've been catching up on this week, or that we, and that we'll be reviewing, is there anything else interesting that you've been catching up on? Well, I'll go first. I, yeah. I This week, I have kind of left the uh, online streaming, other than the things that I've been reviewing, and I've been organising my to watch uh, Blu-rays. So I've got a pile of, uh, of Blu-rays. This was introduced to me, I think by you, Scott, as an idea of putting the, the next five that I want to watch. Um, so I have got Paddington 2 uh, on that uh, that I want to watch. I've got the steel book of that. So I quite like the opening of the steel book and the, the whole procedure of that. Uh, and then I have got the original Point Break. Uh, and then I have got uh, Tenet after that. So yeah. that are my next three i'm watching for fun fabulous that sounds that sounds rather good uh, i've I, i've still i'm still updating my uh, rolling to watch list on my dvds although this week i am going to be taking a punt on sean penn's into the wild i've, I've had it uh, oh. uh, recommended to me so I'll, I'll report back at the next episode and tell you what i think of that starring emil hirsch i've heard excellent things about it so hopefully sometime in the next couple of weeks that will be on my radar i'm also looking forward to getting back and checking out sicario 2 because i i I remember seeing it at the cinema but it's been so long since i watched it and i rewatched the first which is just an absolutely cracking film and so uh, yeah i'm looking forward to going back uh, do enjoy a bit of benicio del toro and a bit of josh brolin so looking forward to that how about you chris Uh, i've been i mean it's nice having something again we talked about last time uh, with WandaVision when we chatted about that. It's nice having something every week to sort of yeah. come back to. So I'm 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 in yes. Falcon and the Winter Soldier and uh also I've just started it's only three episodes. Um I've just started David Tennant's Des on that was on ITV. Uh so ah, when I finish that I will tell you what I think as well. Smashing and how are you finding uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier so I'm far? I'm enjoying it. I mean it's got this sort of slow build up knowing that it's only six episodes um i'm curious to see when the pace picks up but you know we've been introduced yes. to pretty much the main people now there's still a there's still a guest spot that we haven't been introduced to yet and trying to figure out where she lies in the canon of the of the works so we'll see i mean they couldn't very easily have, have put it sort of together as a film because if you compact all of those episodes together um, it would have kind of made up to like a, a four-hour running time, and only a complete fool would like create a, <laughs> a four-hour superhero movie. Oh. So, um, <laughs> who would do that? <laughs> who would do such Absolutely. a thing? <laughs> it's almost as if we we might be foreshadowing something <laughs> we'll be talking about later. You see, we're, we're we're like the movies; we enjoy a bit of foreshadowing. It's almost like we're seeing into the yes. future. We're running so fast that we, we, we get to... Some nightmare hellscape that we can see ahead of us. <laughs> I, I've also managed to catch up on a couple of a couple of other films that I've not seen for a while and wanted to catch up on. And again, there's there's a little bit of a, a Justice League link, uh, particularly with, with one of them, as I rewatched Mad Max Fury Road at the weekend. And, I mean, what a visual treat that is. Uh, your link there is uh, Tom Holkenberg, a.k.a. Junkie XL, who provided the, uh, the scores for both films. And actually... Yeah, the the score for Fury Road is absolutely fabulous stuff, and I, yeah, I'll, I'll pick it up when we talk about Justice League. But yes, I was uh, I was a fan of the score of uh, of Justice League as well. So yeah, look forward mm. to talking about that towards the end of the episode. 
So, gentlemen, seeing as though we're here to talk about movies, should we talk about movies? Let's do I guess that. So, yeah, and we might as well while we're here. Excellent. So, let's catch up on some of the newer releases that we've been watching over the last couple of weeks since we last spoke to you. So, the first of our four movies that we're going to be re- reviewing this week is Escape from Pretoria, directed by Francis Anan, and the story is uh, based around uh, South, South Africa in 1978. Uh, it's the true life tale of Tim Jenkins and Stephen Lee, two white political activists from the ANC who were imprisoned by the apartheid regime and plot uh, to escape from the Pretoria prison and regain their freedom. Uh, so it's starring Daniel Radcliffe and Daniel Webber and Ian Hart, uh, Mark Leonard Winter. And it's something that both me and Craig watched. Craig, how did you find it, mate? Well, first of all, I, I knew nothing about the story. I knew nothing about the uh, the book that had come before this. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It did exactly what it was supposed to do, which was, was to keep... Did, did I think it was perfect? No. Um, but did did it do its job? It, it was tense. By goodness, there were moments where, you know, your heart was right up in your mouth, not knowing how this situation was going to work out. Um, and... It was, it was bleak, but it was fun. It was light-hearted. There was humour in there, but th- there was pathos. Yeah. There was everything that you needed. And it's one of the few films that I wish had gone on maybe ten minutes longer. I think there was ten minutes that you could have had maybe at the beginning of the film. You you jump into what what he's going to prison for uh, very early on, and I, yeah. I'd maybe you'd have liked a little bit more. Uh, beforehand definitely i agree with you on that one a little bit more to kind of establish uh like tim and steven's characters and their place within the the anc movement certainly would have helped the film uh i'm in full agreement with with you on that one that i thought it was a really effective really tense ride uh some great great moments of 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 that tension some great camera work some really nice little visual flourishes in there it was actually not as I know it was, it was quite bleak, and I think some of the uh, some of the treatment of the prisoners wasn't pleasant. But I I thought it almost could have gone even further. I, I, I not that it needed to go further than it did, but I felt with the, the subject matter and with it dealing with uh, quite a, an important historic time that actually what they did was they focused purely on the the, the it's a, you know it's a prison escape movie, and they didn't spend an awful lot of time kind of digging into the politics of it. And I, I was surprised that they made that choice, but I actually thought uh, in terms of a film, you know, delivering its, its piece of entertainment, I thought it was really effective in that way. Uh, again, great performances. I think Daniel Radcliffe, since you know, finishing the Harry Potter saga, I think he's always picked interesting, smaller movies. He has that ability to to just go and pick the films that he finds interesting. He has no no real need particularly to, to go and sort of chase the big movie star roles. He picks things that he finds interesting. I, I thought he, he gave good South African accent. I thought it was uh, well played all around the cast. I thought it was quite nice um, that uh, it had Professor Quirrell being nice to Harry <laughs> for <laughs> once with, uh, with Ian, Ian Hart as... Uh, Obviously, always kind of the, the father figure of the prison, but yeah, some of those some of those moments of tension, like you say, they establish the stakes quite early on for what it could mean to to the prisoners to get caught. So these moments of tension and and the moments of you know that they, that they ride their luck to certain very much uh, so, yeah yeah uh, in in some moments but, and and the tension that they generate is it's it's so so well done. Yeah, absolutely. And the the thing that I really enjoyed was that they made this a formidable place to be obviously in prison in Pretoria but in and their lives were very much at stake with the the guy up the top and so on but they didn't the guards were human they weren't sort of evil henchmen you know they they weren't likeable by any stretch of the imagination but they weren't made to be these you know people that that loathed everybody you know and it's I quite like that and it's yeah. It's, uh, but then on the flip side, I didn't think that the prison felt as claustrophobic as as a lot of other prisons do. It felt quite 
um, that their freedom, that there was freedom to move around perhaps more than I've not been to prison myself, but, you know, I imagine it's yeah. been quite a claustrophobic experience and I probably won't, yeah. you know, for research sake, look to go to prison, but it, I, I perhaps <laughs> felt they could have been a bit more claustrophobic feeling to certain scenes. Yeah, I felt there, there was a certain oppressiveness to it, but like you say, they, they managed to get away with quite a lot, actually. Absolutely, um, yeah. that, that, that it almost felt quite sparsely guarded at times, but but then there were obviously other stakes that were established within within kind of the rules of the prison. So yeah. it, it was it was just it was very effective. If you know if you're looking for a piece of Saturday night entertainment that's that's kind of thrilling and like you say has some humour, has a lot of pathos. Particularly, uh, you know, the, there's the sequence with uh, the the Leonard character uh, played by Mark Leonard Winter. Uh, with with him and his son, they don't drop many of these sort of character building moments in throughout the film. It's all pace. It's all on getting to the end game essentially. But when they do drop these moments of sort of humanity in it, particularly at this moment where he he gets thirty minutes with his son a month, um, it was so beautifully played, and you really felt the pain in it. So that you know there were really really nice moments within that. So yeah, it was it was just a good strong piece of, of Saturday night entertainment. Probably not as as heavy as, as I was expecting it to be, given the subject matter. Absolutely. Uh, not that it was it not that it was light, but it was it had the, the right balance to be enjoyable while still maintaining that tension and that, that stressfulness that uh, you know a, a prison break movie needs yeah absolutely. and it's my, my last point is as well they've even gone to the the trouble of giving it a tagline which movies don't always get now and it is survival is the key which i think is absolutely wonderful um it's got everything yep. about that i love about taglines right in there so well done to them <laughs> Absolutely. So if you're looking for a bit of uh, entertaining, thrilling movie goodness, I can't recommend uh, Escape from Pretoria enough. It's just, you know, as Craig said, it's not a perfect film, but it is just a really nice bit of entertainment. So, Craig, we're going to stick with you, my good man. Uh, You managed to get your eyes on Cherry. So the first post-Avengers Endgame directorial effort from the Russo brothers I did indeed yes I picked up Cherry it was on um, Apple TV plus um, and like you say it was the Russo brothers and it's got we've got Tom Holland uh, and Kira Bravo and essentially what you're doing is you're looking at a man's life in three acts uh, from teen angst to war movie to struggle with uh, with drugs and it's him trying to find his place in the world Uh, and we've got Tom Holland as Cherry as who, although everybody refers to him as Cherry because he's the title character, he's not actually ever referred to as Cherry or by a name. It's what what we've got here essentially is, like I say, three acts of a man's life with a prologue and an epilogue. It's mm-hmm. a man, a boy trying to find his place in the world and and really, really struggling. The first thing I have to say is Tom Holland's performance in this, along with Kira Bravo as Emily, were were wonderful. Um, you could easily have gone soppy for the teen aspect of it. You could have gone um, OTT um, for the war movie. And it doesn't do that. It doesn't go, to, he never goes too far with it. And that's not something that, everybody involved in this movie some people do go over and above what they should perhaps be doing when it comes to making movies uh, but we'll talk about that in just a few minutes there's there's also a standout performance for me as his best friend James uh, by uh, Forrest Goodluck who was wonderfully understated uh, as this kind of best friend could be a negative influence, could be a positive influence, and he changes roles throughout it, and he does it so well. Um, and he he plays James as a man who really needs a lot of uh, love and support, and my heart went out to him as a character. The film itself, for me, it's clunky. It, it doesn't move seamlessly between those. It very much almost is three separate movies that have been that happen to have Tom Holland as the same character in all three of them it's it's attempts at satire and it it, it tries a couple of times and you you pick up on it quite early on that, that there's satire and you go okay this is what they're saying about young love or about war or about 
you know, um, the loss of human life. But then it, it start, they start to maybe flick you on the ear with satire in the first one. And then it's a slap around the face in the second. And then it's a punch to the stomach for the third. And it just feels clunky, over the top um, and a bit ham handed when it comes to the satire. And, yeah. and with the tone of the film as well, the tone changes a lot. And considering you know where the movie's going to go, there's there, there's no prizes for knowing that his his life is going to take a downward spiral. It's it it totally just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like one film. One last negative before I come up with a positive is that there's quite a nasty tone to the not to some characters. There's a nasty tone to the world, um, and it's like the Russo brothers are doing their best to say isn't the world a bad place for yeah. at, and it's not saying at the moment it's it's saying for y- for young people but it's not offering us you know any sort of glimmer of hope or what this person has done wrong what the the steps that they they're, they're not trying to educate they just seem to have a bleak outlook very much like yes. uh, perhaps some you know michael bay films you could argue have the same sort of pessimistic look outlook on life that being said mm. Would I recommend this film? If you're in the right place at the right time to to watch something that has got stellar performances, I would recommend it. If you want to see something that is divisive, that can use humour really, really well, and the, 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 the Russo's brothers' use of visual humour in this, and it's usually happening behind a character, so without them sort of interacting with it is is, is very, very good. Um, it just doesn't flow for me as a film. Would it be something I watch again? Only if I was to watch it with somebody else, like yourself, Scott, that, you know, to get your view on it, to see what your take yeah. is on it, rather I wouldn't sit down as, a, as an entertainment uh, two hours ten minutes uh, to watch it again but that being said I wouldn't stop somebody I would just give them some guidelines beforehand or at the very least a little bit of a warning I think it's interesting that, that this is the film that they picked to go for uh, not a not a cinema release a you know a streaming exclusive release to follow up what was at one point the biggest movie of all time to to focus in on what appears to be quite a sprawling but uh, it's definitely more low-key character study. It's uh, it's quite uh, it's quite a brave move by them. It's just a shame that uh, you know from what you've said, and you know what what you said sort of vibes with a lot of the other critical reaction to Cherry is that it was that, that it that it suffers tonally throughout. But yeah, I mean it's something that I'll I'll check out because I think Tom Holland's really really great performer i think seeing him again it, it would be very easy for him to just stick to kind of the leading man roles but he's he's trying things that are a little bit more challenging like this and like the devil all the time uh so it's yeah it's good to see good to see him branching out and really kind of flexing his his acting chops in between kind of spider-man movies and you know he's got the the upcoming movie adaptation of the uncharted video games uh, so yeah, uh, certainly looking forward to checking him out and seeing how how he fares in something like this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you very much, Craig. And as Craig says, that is available on Apple TV Plus now. So for the third of our four movies this week, we're moving on to Now TV for one of the Sky exclusives uh, released last weekend. It's called Creation Stories, uh, directed by uh, actor turned director Nick Moran. And uh, starring Ewan Bremner, it tells the story of Alan McGee, the renegade head of Creation Records, and his story from youth to uh, basically signing one of the biggest bands in the world, and his involvement later on in getting involved in politics. Uh, so it's something that I've seen on my own, and I think the reason I kind of set out to watch this was uh, particularly at the moment I'm, I'm loving films and documentaries that capture a certain element or a certain time of my life so as we've discussed on previous episodes I've gone back and watched The Last Dance and High Score and uh, the, the Undertaker documentary The Last Ride because they they capture that that moment in time particularly around the sort of 80s 90s 
period where you know I was growing up there my formative years and one of the most formative things and as I'm sure Craig will agree because I know he, they're one of his favourite bands is the rise of Oasis was one of the, the epochal moments <laughs> uh, you know as a as a young guy in his, his late teens early 20s that was getting into indie music the stuff that Creation Records was putting out was kind of front and centre uh, so this is a man that, that kind of put bands like My Bloody Valentine and Jesus and Mary Chain and Teenage Fan Club and Primal Scream and obviously the big boys Oasis basically into the public consciousness through his record label so I had no idea going into this kind of the, the depth of, of kind of where he started and uh, the character that Alan McGee was because so yeah I didn't quite realize what a, a kind of a colourful life Alan McGee had led because when <laughs> Oasis were uh, were in the ascendancy and there was a lot of column inches devoted to him around that time he looked kind of you know short hair wearing the suit he looked like quite an ordinary guy that was you know hanging around with these rock stars but actually he led a bit of a, a kind of a warts and all excessive lifestyle however I think the issue with creation stories is that despite the pedigree involved with it, uh, because I mean, if you if you're capturing a, a moment in time, there's probably no no actors more '90s than you and Bretner being you know, such a such a huge part of you know, the transporting phenomenon and the, the career that he had spanning off of that. The screenplay was co-penned by Irving Welsh again with that that link to uh, link to Trainspotting. Uh, Nick Moran again it came to prominence in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and, and sort of developed from there. Produced by Danny Boyle as well. So the pedigree's there and you know the, the soundtrack is there and that's one thing I will say before I kind of get too deep into the film is that the soundtrack is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's made me want to go and check out a few bands that I've forgotten about, particularly Teenage Fan Club. I forgot <laughs> that they, they were a thing and you know they were, they were great at the time. But the, the issue with the film is it does what you expect all of these sort of musician biopic films to do. That you have the the lowly start, the scrabbling to get started, the abusive parent, the, uh, the growth and, and sort of into that wild excess. And then the, the, the downfall. And it's all done... You know, it, it's nothing that we've not seen before. That you can you can chart exactly what the film is going to do at any any individual point. It does it with a lot of energy, but for a film with so much energy and that's so in a hurry to get somewhere and tell you the next thing, it doesn't all feel like a bit of a slog. I think part of the issue is, and I like you and Bremner as an actor. I think he, you know, in the right roles, he, he he can be quite entertaining. I think I didn't find. The situations he found himself in, I didn't find him particularly likable as a character. I didn't find the way the film approached its subject matter was particularly likable. Uh, it It's light-hearted. It does try to be funny. It's not too serious and too heavy. But I don't think... I don't feel like the comedy lands. I don't feel like the story, the impact of the story, really lands. And I think, uh, you know, in the early part of his life... It's quite interesting seeing his interest in, in sort of punk and then early 80s new wave music and, and how that gets him into it. And obviously he's a failed musician. And in particular, I mean, Leo Flanagan, who plays young Alan McGee, he's a really likeable character. But then there's this weird moment where you get the, the sort of late teens, early 20s Alan McGee that all of a sudden turns into 50-year-old Ewan Bremner in a ginger wig. <laughs> it's it's a little bit jarring and you don't really again get a a real handle on the character the one thing i will say is as the film progresses it's being told in flashback for the most part through this interview that he's he's having and so it's quite cliche in that way that you know it's you're telling the story from his perspective uh, and he, you know he's he's wired on coke and he's just being a motormouth and telling this story and there's no real gravitas to it it's just moving on from one thing to the other that the and it isn't until late on in the film that it, and it almost saves the experience a little bit but i i'm, I'm gonna 
I'm probably going to spoil my, my judgment on it by saying it doesn't save the experience. It gets close to when you get this real moment of passion and clarity out of the Alan McGee character after everything he's gone through that you suddenly, at that moment, you get the get why he is like he is and why he does what he does uh, and why he's so passionate about it and why he just went through everything just like a, like a bullet gate. And it's a real moment of passion and clarity. It's a great performance. And at that moment, you almost wish that you had more of that heart in the film. That it, it feels like a lot of flash, not a lot of likability, and just lacking that, that real heartbeat that, that gets you invested in the character. So when yeah, they do have that moment fall, although the thing that prefaces that moment's fall is a... It's a really nice sort of out-of-character cameo by Jason Isaacs, who turns up, uh, has his moment, and then disappears for the rest of the film again. Again, not as funny as it thinks it probably is, but uh, and you know me, I don't like to be, I don't like to be negative. Remember, there are things about the films that 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 is positive, but just on this occasion, I found it a real disappointment for me. It's the, it's that moment in time that. You, you you kind of want to to feel that that moment and that connection to and I never I never got that it never sort of landed in that way for me unfortunately um, so yeah it, it's a bit of a shame I mean by all means if if it's a if it's a period of history that you're interested in and it's you know the music that you love to give it a go you might find because I mean I I'm airing on the lower side of of, of rating this film. I've seen some quite positive reactions to it, and you might you might enjoy it. You might get something out of it, but but for me, I it really fell short, and I was really disappointed. Which is unusual for me to to come on this podcast and say I'm actually disappointed about. <laughs> so, do, the, the but, use uh, of music then is it? Do they have bands playing the music as he's signing them, or is it as background music? They've got creation music artists. There's there's a bit there's a bit of both. So what they do is they all of the the musicians and the characters are literally everybody right right the way through from uh, you know Bobby Gillespie and Andrew Innes from Primal Scream who were two of his closest friends growing up. They're played by two actors. You've got uh, you've got the actors playing Oasis as well, although they actually use the creation artist's music for those live sequences. So. When he discovers Oasis at King Tut's, uh, they're using a live version of Rock and Roll Star. Okay. So the actual music is in there, and the, the actual music's absolutely fantastic. Uh, some of it, some of the use of it at, at some points is a little bit on the nose, but you know when you're using some great, great tracks in there, it's you know it's it's kind of worthwhile listening to. It kind of tells that story with the creation artists in there, uh, but they're all slightly slightly weird doppelgangers <laughs> so it takes you out of the movie yeah, yeah, a little bit uh, you know even even the moments later on where Alan McGee gets involved with new labor movement and his moments with Peter Mandelson and uh and Alistair Campbell and Tony Blair uh, were a little bit on the a little bit on the jarring side I, I guess because you know you're in this period of history where we know we know these people they're very recognizable so uh, to see them recreated on screen, it, you know, sometimes it's done really well. Sometimes it it just feels a little bit jarring. I think on this occasion, some of it does feel a little bit a little bit jarring. So, gentlemen, as I sort of said, part of the reason I kind of gravitated towards creation stories is it was that moment in time. And sometimes you get that film that that does that 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 takes you back to a moment in your life where you go, oh, you know what that. I remember that that was a that was a great moment for me. Do you do you have any particular films that are your go tos for that? I, I have two, um, and following on from creation stories, mine first and foremost would have to be Supersonic, which is the charts the sort of first year and a half, almost two years of Oasis's uh, career right up till Nebworth, uh, which was kind yeah. of seen as the pinnacle. And for me, it's pitched. It, it gives everything. The feelings that I felt being at a gig, the excitement of being part of knowing this new band, um, it, it, everything, and I can watch it any time. And it it take it's it's like watching 
uh, going to a gig again all the excitement is there the the enthusiasm the the kind of the energy um which i i mean i absolutely love and the second one um for very different reasons would be senna um yes senna is one of my if not my favorite documentary of all time um mm. my my dad and i used to watch formula 1 together um and I don't think I ever noticed at the time, but when Ayrton Senna wasn't there anymore, I didn't watch Formula One uh, and my dad didn't really either. We'd kind of lost something with Ayrton Senna and I, I'd never really realised that. I just thought I'd not, you know, I'd grown out of watching it. And it wasn't until I watched Senna and I bought a copy for my dad uh, that it, it it hits me so emotionally every single time. Um, it, it it never fails to hit, and I I get infuriated at Alan Prost. Uh, I get infuriated at the governing body um, because there's no way you can stop what is about to happen. So for, for those two, yeah. just transport me back to two very different times uh, for very very different feelings, I suppose. Yeah, I'd Senna. I'll I'll agree with you there. It's a hell of a film if you're if you've not seen senna uh so it's directed by acid Capadia, and I'll, I'll pick up another one of his films uh, after chris has spoken um but with senna you don't have to be passionately into formula one to really kind of get the story and to, to really be carried along with it i'm not a big formula one fan but i i remember and senna's passing so clearly uh i remember that whole day and that whole kind of weekend really really clearly so again it's it's that transportative thing but it, it hits you so hard in the chest when it happens it's so effective as a movie and the whole film the fact that he's managed to to kind of carve a really great narrative out of just documentary footage you know this is 20 years removed from when this all happened that he's gone through all of the all of this footage and managed to craft a narrative from it is is just phenomenal uh, I, and it's such a skill uh, but I'll, I'll talk another about another of his films in a moment but Chris how about yourself are there any films that automatically transport you back to a particular place in time yeah I've got I've got two too um, they are they're, they're very different in terms of tone um, the first being the original Jumanji film with the late great Robin Williams yeah because it was there were scenes that were filmed in a town that I used to frequent as a as a kid. Mm. Um, and in fact, they still have the Parish Shoes mural on one of the walls. Yeah. And uh, that brings me back to a very, very specific point in time and uh, fall in New England as a kid. And um, the other, also do, to do with the, the woods, um, the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> um one of the films that introduced me into my love for horror films and um and because i was i watched it on a friday night and the thing that we used to do with the family every friday have pizza um go down to the uh local video rental store proper vhs all on the shelves you could go in and have a look wasn't a blockbuster just like a a family-owned business it was great um, and uh, we'd peruse the shelves and be like, oh, that looks good, or this looks good, or this is a classic Chris hasn't seen. Um, and, uh, yeah, Blair Witch Project was, was one of those. <laughs> and uh, and because I watched it Friday night, really late at night, and I was a kid in a house that was in the middle of the woods, it resonates. But, but now growing up, obviously I was scared my panties off at the time, but... Um, uh, now I sort of see it as a zeitgeist feeling. Um, I recently rewatched it and got that same sort of feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So w different, different kinds of films, but same, same process in my brain. Yeah, I think my two films are sort of. I, I could list probably a hundred films that remind me of different times and places for different reasons. But if I'm going to sort of use it to kind of take you back to to, to my youth. I'll pick up on what Craig said, just another Asif Kapadia film. Uh, it was released a couple of years ago, uh, Diego Maradona, uh, which charts his arrival at Napoli and his time 
with the club and it is basically one of the most kind of tumultuous turbulent periods of his life but this was kind of the early early to mid 80s it was at a time that I was just getting into football and there was no bigger name than Diego Maradona and I mean again he crafts uh, so as if Capadia crafts this film from just tons of uh, news footage, interviews. It's it's different in a way because it's actually got input from Maradona himself before he passed away, and tells the story of him arriving at the club and his introduction to uh, recreational uh, enhancements, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he was getting off his tits on coke, <laughs> um, and his involvement with the, the criminal elements. Uh, in Naples at the time, and as, as well as dragging this club that you know they were seen as kind of perennial uh, underachievers, uh, they were a they were kind of a nothing club, and he dragged them from the depths all the way to the the top of the table, and uh, and that was kind of unheard of, and they've never really kind of achieved that same level of success since. Uh, you know they they built this team around him, but he was just this this magician. And a, a part of the film takes place during the 1986 World Cup, which was the first World Cup that I really remember watching. And obviously, there's that there's the mm. famous moment. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of people have that reaction when they think about Diego Maradona. But what the film does, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it almost makes you feel sorry for him you you have sympathy for him because he essentially cheated on that day and he's always had that uh, you know fiery temperament he's always been viewed as a bit of a bad boy but he was so prodigiously talented and you get to see that actually he was you know during the film he talks about having these two characters there's Diego who's the quiet shy boy from Argentina and then there's Maradona who is the the icon, the the character, and he has those two conflicting sides, and sometimes the you know the Maradona character worn out over over Diego, and it's it's absolutely it's on a, a similar sort of level. I think Senna is just slightly better, uh, but Diego Maradona, if you get a chance to see, it, I think it's on Amazon Prime at the minute. Even if you're not into football, it's an absolutely fascinating character study. Uh, the other film and. Uh, <laughs> This is one that you know, me and Craig have, have often mildly disagreed on, but it's Brian De Palma's 1987 classic, The Untouchables. It's one of my favourite films, but I think part of the reason it is one of my favourite films is that I have this association of being sat in the front room on a sunny day with my family and watching this film that I, at the time, I think it was, it was cut for TV, so I was allowed to watch it, but it, it felt... You know, dangerous. This was a, a slightly older film for me to be watching, and it just captivated me. Uh, and it's such a great, great story. So whenever I hear the music from the film, and it it, it came up as one of my tracks of the trade in an earlier episode, um, but it, the music and moments of the film, and yeah, it just transports me back to being that young sort of eleven, twelve year old, excitedly watching this this absolutely brilliant film. Uh, with this great Sean Connery performance. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. And that's one of those transportative films that just for where reminded me where I was at that time. Like I said, I could, I could list off another 20, but that's the one that immediately comes to mind. And so for the final one of our reviews this time out, we are going big. We're going four hours long, in fact. Well, we're not going four hours long. That would make this episode probably the longest yet. And I don't think any of us want to be here <laughs> that long uh, but we're going to be talking Zack Snyder's Justice League so myself and Chris have both checked this out and um, what a storied history I mean we've covered this on the podcast before but now it's out there it's in the world it, it is world. it's yeah. it's an actual thing and I'm really fascinated to know particularly I know I know you're a, a big comic book movies fan Chris sure. and uh We've discussed this at length previously. How did you find Zack Snyder's Justice League? I enjoyed it. You know what? I think that's as subverting my expectations as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> we talked about well, we talked about this before yeah. of like how 
how much rescuing can you do? Mm-hmm. And this subverted my expectations. It was long, sure, but I enjoyed it. I I was okay with it being four hours because... I am not as so much of a DC lover as I am a Marvel lover Mm. growing up with Spider-Man and him being my idol and all of that jazz. But um, I do love my DC uh, universe as well. And if, for instance, you know, there was a four hour version of Harry Potter, I would demand that. So the four hours of, of Justice League, I wasn't too bothered by. It's as you know, and everyone else should be aware it's cut up into chapters six chapters and an extra bit that makes it more tolerable because it feels like you're getting to checkpoints i suppose yes yeah i think i think that's because the original idea was to to carve it down into a mini series right uh and that's partially why the chapters exist but then they they made the decision to put it out in this four hour cut. I'm going to agree with you, Chris. That I I thought it was good. I think there. Are- I think we can both we can both say for the listeners out there that we agree that it is a better representation of what the DCU could be. Yes. Versus what the 2017 version was. In full disclosure, from me, I didn't hate. The original Justice League. I had I had a time with it. It was it was what it was. I, I didn't hate it either. I just came out knowing it was a mess. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. I think that's that's a very good way of putting it. Um, I. So I was like you, not entirely sure how it was going to how it was going to pan out, how it was going to go, how it was going to kind of how they were going to change it significantly enough that you know it's essentially the same film. It follows the same beats but actually it it expands on the the story the character motivations actually make sense now um there are Mm -hmm. there are moments where it does feel interminably long but then i i chose to sit and watch it in one sitting there are moments that actually i sat there going this is really good this this bit was done well uh there are character performances in there that i think clunk there are character performances in there that i think are quite good there are action sequences that i think that looks really cool there are character there are action sequences that i think that looked a bit pants and uh or or that was that was overdone i think if you'd have played the whole film at normal speed and cut out the slow-mo it probably would have been an hour shorter uh, but uh, there are there are a lot of yeah slow motion bits yeah some of them but, some of them are great and some of them just feel yeah. like get get on with it a little bit um i mean the the one the one that sticks out as being actual story driven and useful in a way is is the is barry allen's bit yes yes uh, when he's getting a job or going to be getting a job uh looking after some puppies yeah um Again, we're not gonna, we're not trying to ruin it. Yeah. Um, but that is one moment that I thought was story driven. It had a little bit of humor um, that pays off at the end, which I also thought was nice. It wasn't just Barry Allen being silly for no reason. Yeah. I do find Ezra Miller's Ezra Miller. Yeah. I do find his Barry Allen a little obnoxious. Yeah, he's he, but he's responsible for some of the more entertaining bits in the film as well. I I, I find that you know I think um, true. I, it could yeah. Be, yeah. Although the moment you're referring to in in my notes, I referred it to I referred to that moment as Barry Allen's floating sausage. Good, because, as it should yeah. be described from now on yes. for all eternity. <laughs> for the uh, for the unsubtle <laughs> overtones of. Oh, this is quite a pretty girl. Oh, by the way, here's a floating sausage. Let's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you sure if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> I see where your brain's going. Yeah, um, yeah. I, there are some times that I really struggled with, weirdly enough, some of the visuals. Yeah. Um, because I know Zack Snyder. Like, I felt some visual styles creeping in from what he did with Three Hundred. Yeah. And that sort of 
like green screen and the people don't quite match the scenes that they're in like the shadows look a little weird yeah and i i'm pretty sure that must have been a deliberate choice because we know how good the effects are in the rest of the film I think, I, and I just went. I wonder if this is a stylistic choice, and it took me out of it just a little bit. Yeah, I think just you get. I think you get that with a lot of films that some effects work so well, and some things just look look odd. They look fake. They look CG. And yeah, but it. it I think it was more. Oh, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, if you know three hundred, you know the sort yeah, of absolutely feeling that it gives you. Yeah, which is for me is mostly sort of boredom, but. i okay so well there are a couple things in it that i there's a really good there's a few very good videos online that you can look up Mm. of comparisons of the same scenes that appeared in both yes and those are quite interesting to look at see how they were extended see what was changed that being said some of the stuff in this new justice league version Mm. um felt just a bit too I'm doing a dramatic line. There was one moment in it where Wonder Woman says, I'm not owned by anyone. And it felt so forced. Yeah. It was nothing to do with that. Steppenwolf was just being him. And she was like, I'm not owned by anyone. And you're like, do you, re- do you, do you need that? Do you need that? Hmm? I think it's it, there is an element of everything and the kitchen sink twice with it <laughs> yeah, um, i know what you mean yeah i think a lot has been made of the this kind of the, the four hour cut but essentially what we've got is th- this is this is the director's cut that would turn up on the dvd two years after the film so like uh, ridley scott did with kingdom of heaven like he's done right. ad, ad infinitum with uh, blade runner we get director's cuts of films i think it's nice that he's had the chance to be able to do that. And I think he's crafted a better film from it. I do think there's issues with the story that it, if it took four hours to tell that story coherently, is that an issue? Is that an issue with the story? Um, Would, would we have got, would we have got a, a, a palatable three hour cinema version? Like we had a palatable three hour Avengers, not to, I don't don't want to kind of invoke, invoke the name of the competition, but that was a cohesive film. No, uh, I think I think both universes can can live. Yeah, the, the fandoms are a little rough sometimes, but they can live in our world together. Yeah, stop being so absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just stop. And, and I think one of the things. I mean, I, I as I've said before, I just want good films, and I think this was a, right. this was a be- this was a better film. I think it was a good film, and actually, although the the sheer weight of the whole restore the Snyderverse. Um, hashtags online mm-hmm. i think people are going over the top about what is essentially a good film it's a yep. it's it's a it's the best part of three flawed films so you've got a good start with a flawed ending with man of steel you've got a, a just I, I, I you know you rewatched it recently just not a great film yeah. with batman versus superman and now you've got a better version of uh, of yeah. the justice league film I don't know if I think it's the best film in DC universe. Uh, I think if you put it in the canon of, of superhero films of all time, I think it's 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 in you know the upper middle. I still think the Teen Titans Go version of Cyborg is my favourite. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I, it's it, it's it's a good it's a it's a better film. But um, I think people are losing their minds over something that is just a a good film, although. I really want to pick up on what you said about the Harry Potter thing. And I guess where I understand that reaction is that I part of the reason I like the Deathly Hallows films is you're getting to spend more time with the characters. And it yeah. feels more like the book, which I really like all the books. It felt like the book on film. And it gave the gave the story time to breathe. Some people found it boring. I just liked having more time with these characters and feeling like that and so i guess in a way that's where i sort of see this where those that are passionate about it are getting that fandom they just enjoy more time with it uh i don't know what's going to happen and this story will probably run and run with the extended universe i have no desire to see the 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 david air cut of suicide squad i'm quite happy with 
you know, what's coming up with from James Gunn. Uh, I think that looks silly and amusing. And the the trailer made me chuckle. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, it's not perfect. But I'm I'm glad, certainly personally for Zack Snyder, that he's had his chance to do this. Um, yes. And you know, he can nail a sweet visual, even though I'm not always enamoured of his work. So it, yeah, it's it's a it's a good flawed film. What's kind of curious about the film in itself is, and I think people should take heed of this mm. in a in a creative way, yeah. is this also isn't the film that we would have got. It's a different Zack Snyder cutting this film it together. It is, yeah. I think he... So that's a really interesting thing to think about when you watch it. If this wouldn't have been the film yeah. that came out if he'd been in total control. No. He has had more time and more autonomy with this because he hasn't got that uh that initial box office he hasn't got that studio pressure uh to change things that you know warner brothers have exerted pressure Mm -hmm. over a lot of the dc films for different reasons if the story is to be believed um you know i'm only going off what i've read i know i know i know there's so much as well there's so much hearsay so what we've got is somebody that is, is actually taking his time to to tell the full passion of the story but what we get from here on in if we if they do restore the snyderverse you know to use the hashtag we will get something that that maybe won't have the same level of directorial autonomy with it because they're going to have to think about the amount of money they're putting into it for the financial return they're going to get at the box office and i think you know that there's a certain element of that i do think that there's a certain element that that there's this passion for it now that it would be interesting to see if it does happen and i wouldn't complain if it did because actually it's in a better position than after the last Justice League and yeah. after Batman versus Superman, where I wasn't looking forward to what was coming next. Now, sure. but then they they can go off in so many different directions because they've got the Pattinson Batman, they've got the the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, you've got the Jared Leto Joker, who can I just say is so much better than in Suicide Squad. Right. Let's let's <laughs> let's do that point while okay, we're here, really quickly, and get it out the way. Yeah. Um, I I enjoyed the tying up of that and seeing uh, and seeing how it affected that tiny little seed of a scene in Batman versus Superman. Yeah, and um, and seeing this all come to fruition kind of uh, way, mm. and we can agree that Jared Leto's Joker in this version, his his battered self or whatever you want to call him. Um, is a better version of the Joker. Yes. That being said, obviously he has to tie it back to Suicide Joker. Hmm. So the one thing that is really tough for actors is having a distinct character that has a laugh which fits, which feels like it fits in the mouth of the actor. Yeah. And taking his new voice and having his old laugh doesn't match for me. Hmm. It just felt like Okay, you you're doing that you're doing that voice again. You're doing, you're doing the ah ah. Okay, all right, that's okay. It didn't grate for me as much this time. I have to say, I I the, when it when we come out of it without spoiling anything, yeah. this is a better film. Yes, there you go. Yeah, There's absolutely. So just yeah, just to kind of type my point, it, it'd be interesting to see because they're heading off in so many different directions now, uh, whether they do tie it back because they've already committed. Uh, and mm. and if they do bring it back, they really they really kind of have to, um, you know, make sure that they've they've got the cast that they assembled for this because then it would feel it would feel odd if we don't have you know Ben Affleck back as as Batman. Now they've developed this, and if they, um, yeah, so they they just have they have they have either way that Warner Brothers the DCU yeah. go with this. Mm. It is a cobbled street that they have to walk on yeah. in stilettos because Absolutely. no matter what, they're damned if it's they do. Be painful for someone. Yeah, they're damned if they do, and they're damned if they don't. And right. Right. you know, I, not to not to disappear down the rabbit hole of the issues that that Ray Fisher has has made very public with his yeah. treatment, and you can see actually in this he does get better treatment 
in this film. He feels like a. I mean, a, he's integral. He is film. absolutely integral, and he gives he gives a good performance. Uh, he's very much, yeah. very much kind of the the, the serious. Girl. I, I I find the the cyborg suit a little bit too CG and a little bit too uh, again a, dis- a, distracting at yeah. points. Um, but again, he comes out of this a lot better. And I, I, you know, obviously, if they do move forward, they need to make sure that what whatever happened there is resolved because it would be a shame yeah. to carry on moving forward after. Actually, he's established a character now for him not to be able to fulfill that alongside everybody else. So uh, it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be difficult going forward because this is the better film. Yes, and how do they deal with that? Yeah, and can they keep the quality control yeah. <laughs> that, they, that they've exhibited on this that hasn't been there with with previous installments? So, so sorry, everyone. This is a sort of weird bittersweet trying to see into the future review. It is. It um, is because this is a this is a doorway to. Uh, a two different, literally two different futures yeah. that the cinema viewers we will go to yeah. and see what happens. It's almost like next. it's almost like a multiverse. Uh, I, weird, right? Yeah. I wonder if that'll crop up. Yeah, I wonder if somewhere yeah, else. Absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so that's Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is on Sky Cinema Stroke Now TV now. And now we've got those reviews out of the way. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for this episode's... <gasps> Pitch, Pitch Battle! battle. Oh. Nice. Mm. So, if you've not listened to the Monkey See, Monkey Review podcast before, this is the part of the show where generally we end up losing it in some way, shape or form. Uh, the idea of the pitch battle is that we are given a three items by you, the fair listeners, via our Facebook page or via Twitter or via Instagram. And those three items are an actor, an item and a genre. What we do is we take those three things and we create, in the space of five minutes, a movie pitch that we then display to one another, and then you get to... Oh. Yeah, well, yes, indeed. We display to one another and expose to you listeners at home. Indeed. And <laughs> uh, just such filth. So, this time out, on our Facebook page, we have been given our three things for the week by the lovely Hayley Wright, who is a long-time supporter of the show. Now, she has thank given you, us... Right. Thank you very much indeed. We'll see if you do right by us with... What you've given us. <laughs> Do you see? I, I, even a pun. Brilliant. <laughs> and so this time out, Haley provided us with an actor, an item, and a genre. But I've taken the liberty with the, the genre because she's given us mm. Clint Eastwood as the actor. Nice. The item is a Fabergé egg. <laughs> Although the, the genre she gave us, which was horror. Although we did horror just two episodes ago. So, okay. knowing Haley and knowing she enjoys a Western, I've taken the liberty of changing our genre this week to Western. So, gentlemen, now is your opportunity Ooh. to do your very own Clint Eastwood Western. Yes. How exciting is that? Very exciting. So, gentlemen, are your pens ready? I have a, ready. Yes, yes, I have a pencil, but yes. <laughs> My virtual pen is ready. Writing implements ready. Yes, yes. Uh, Excellent. So we will have five minutes, but for you, fair listeners, we'll be back in two seconds. Right, gentlemen, pens down. And so it's time to present our pitches. Um, We scientifically decided the order (laughs) before we came back on the air, uh, basically by Chris saying, uh, you two go first, I don't want to go first. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think it's me leading off. I believe so. So, Yes, it is. Okay. Outlaw Jebediah is living out the autumn of his years in a sleepy town. His peace is shattered when a group of rogue French art collectors ride into town with the intent to steal back the collection of priceless Fabergé eggs Jed stole years before. But he's not going down without a fight. This year, Clint Eastwood returns to the genre he defined this holiday season for Earth 
few dollars more. <laughs> oh, that's ter- That's the worst pun we've had yet. Oh my goodness. Oh, and, that, oh, that gave me, and that's gave what me I started. And that's what I started with. <laughs> just, I just, <laughs> I worked back from there. <laughs> oh, there we go. That that means I've got to have a go now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Okay. A relic of a golden age. A long forgotten treasure. Massively expensive. May I present to you Clint Eastwood. No, you bloody idiot. Sorry, sorry. A Fabergé egg. Can our hero guard the priceless artifact from the looters? This Dust Bowl summer, Clint Eastwood must guide the Great Western Express. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Brilliant. That's a good one. Well done. I've realised that our films are all the same. <laughs> I, all right, all yeah. Right. <clears throat> There's a new sheriff in town. A shootout at the OK Corral. Can he crack the case? A town ravished by thieves. After century-old treasure buried deep beneath the sheriff's office. 300 Fabergé eggs. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. Clean Eastwood in Yokels of the West. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. I had to control well myself done. with the clip clop at the beginning. <laughs> we did it, everyone. We did it. Chris's, Thank Chris's you. sound effects—they're always—they're always, they they're always a highlight. On. They are spot on. <laughs> Excellent. So, if you enjoyed that, make sure you sound off on our social media. Tell us who you think won and who the best egg pun was. <laughs> And you can you can you can also give me a uh, give me a, a sympathy like as well. So, <laughs> thank you for that, Haley. That was uh, that was a fun thank one. You. I enjoyed that. Yes. And so that brings us to the final section of the show. It's our regular Tracks of the Trade movie score playlist. So the idea behind Tracks of the Trade is we are developing our very own uh, Spotify playlist of pieces of movie score music that we know and love. Uh, basically with the idea that, that it gives you know you a, an introduction into something that you might find interesting or exciting or uh, a piece of music that you may fall in love with. So the idea is each week we present our own contributions to the playlist. So without any further ado, it's time to give you our submissions for the week. Who would like to go first, gentlemen? I'll happily go first. Fantastic, Craig. So uh, this... It's quite rare for me that to buy a soundtrack uh, without having seen the film first. Uh, I think the first one that I ever did was Total Recall and then uh, Star Wars Episode One, And then I believe this to be my third. And it's from the film Hannah. Um, and I picked it up purely because of the Chemical Brothers. Uh, and I absolutely love the Chemical Brothers. Um, one of the first albums I ever uh, got of theirs uh, was Bought to me uh, was given to me by Scott, in fact, uh, when we were back at university. Uh, and this is a, a track called uh, "The Devils in the Beats." I absolutely love it. It's it's everything that I love about it's it's bright, it's it's um, upbeat. It makes me want to move, um, and it's not necessarily everything that I want in a, a score. Okay, but as as a as artists, the Chemical Brothers very, very rarely miss, uh, and I really, really love this track thirteen on the uh, the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, the Devils in the Beats. Brilliant. I, yes, I remember buying you that CD. Yeah, Surrender, wasn't it? Was, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it was. Yeah, and uh, uh, Confession Time. I I listened to it on the train all the way down before giving it to you. <laughs> and it was it was a it was a great it, album. It was fantastic. So for my. Uh, submission for the Tracks of the Trade playlist this week. I did say last week I was going in on a Zimmer double bill for films that I'm not particularly a big fan of because I think his scores can you know lift films and actually sometimes be the best things 
about the film. So I've gone for uh, it's quite a famous track. It's one that he performs on his uh, his stadium tours. It's called Chevalier de Sangriel, and it's from the Da Vinci Code. And it's just a really epic piece of beautiful music. Uh, it's it's one that you know, particularly if you get your headphones in and just switch off from everything for a few minutes and just let it wash over you. It's beautiful and you know as you know by now i like sharing my love of films with my little girl and this is no exception that i like sharing pieces of movie score music with her uh, and getting her opinion uh, i played her the live version of this uh, that's that's on spotify and when it finished she just said that you know she had given her goosebumps which is fantastic that uh, you know a 12-year-old is getting goosebumps from a piece of music like this. So it's something I wanted to share with all of you as well. It's, it's a gorgeous piece of music. So as I say, it's called Chevaliers de Sangriel, and it is from the Da Vinci Code soundtrack by the legend that is Mr. Hans Zimmer. Christopher, let's wrap this up. Uh, mine is from one of my favourite films of all time uh, called About Time, and it is one of the tracks from the soundtrack uh by nick layard Klaus, um and it is the about time theme um the main theme of the uh of the film and it, it crops up every now and then and uh it's just a gorgeous melody and if you've seen the film the song will bring up tears and laughter and all sorts of stuff um so yeah that's that's mine and maybe i'll talk about about time at some point now that's one film that has been on my to watch list for years, but because uh, because of the, the fact it's a romantic comedy, I always find it quite hard to make myself sit down and watch them. So I, is, I is can't it something... recommend that film enough. It's it's possibly my third favorite film of all time. Okay, understood. <laughs> I will. I tell you what, I will watch it and we'll have a debrief. Yeah, excellent. So that's three really really strong tracks there, and so. What we'll do is on the episode show notes, I will leave you the link for the Spotify playlist. Just follow that link and follow the playlist and let us know what you think to it. There's a real range of, of music there, just you know, from from what we've listed today, everything from kind of electronic to big sweeping orchestral scores. There, I think there's something for everybody on the playlist, so mm. I really hope you'll check it out. Speaking of checking things out, uh, it's the, the last thing we're going to do for the episode today. It's our little bit of an appeal to you. The first thing is, if you can, and your podcast provider of choice uh, allows you to subscribe, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, it, it means that you know the more people that subscribe, and if they get the opportunity to review as well, the more people that give us positive reviews, it just means we become more visible to other people and gets more people listening to the podcast. And that's really what we do it for. We absolutely love this, and we have so much fun doing it. But please, 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 if you get the opportunity, even if it's just a star rating, you don't necessarily have to leave a review. Just you know, let us know that you're listening and that you're enjoying it. We also have a Twitter feed. We also have an Instagram. We also have a Facebook group. And both myself and Kev regularly update our Letterboxd, which is a movie reviewing and uh, diarising uh, page. So we'll leave you the links for all of those on the episode notes. So when you download your episode, if you scroll to the bottom, that'll take you to the links there. We're also on email, which is msmrpod at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with us, you are more than welcome to. And so, gentlemen, I've had an absolute blast as always. I hope you have too. I certainly loved yes, it. It's been a pleasure. It. Fantastic. Thank you both so much. And thank you, fair listeners. And we'll see you in another couple of weeks for another Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. But the only thing left for us to do is to say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, lovelies.